the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. A service of the Salem Media Group. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Things may look bad in your life at this time. You may wonder where God is, and you may wonder about the difficulties you're going through. Is God really interested? He certainly is. And there is a payday coming for those who would lift themselves against you or against the plan of God. And just at the right time, just at the right time, God will step in and say, it's payday. We never know just when God is going to collect the debts of the wicked. Some evil men come to a swift and gruesome end. Others live long lives and prosper in this world, even at the expense of God's own people. But whichever the case may be, we can be confident that God is not ignoring their sins. Judgment will come in God's timing and in God's way. We're glad you could join us today again for Verse by Verse. We are currently enjoying a great series in the book of Esther, and today we'll see how God removes the cunning enemy of his people. Let's listen as Pastor Steve continues in Esther chapter 6. Now Haman just craves this recognition. He is, he is at this point on cloud nine. He is thrilled this, you know, he's probably thinking, my ship has come in. This is it. This is the ultimate. He's a braggart. He's an egomaniac. In fact, that's why he had Mordecai. That's why he's so, he's so disturbed with, with Mordecai. Mordecai won't bow down to him. You just don't do that to an egomaniac. Well, the king liked Haman's idea, unfortunately for Haman. But he liked his idea. So guess what happens? Verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, take quickly the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so for Mordecai, the Jew, who's sitting at the king's gate. Do not fall short in anything of all that you have said. There are times in history I wish I could have been there. I think this is one of them. Could you imagine what must have gone on in this man's mind? As I read this, I just laughed. I can't even teach it now without kind of laughing and smiling. I mean, as, as much as the guy is a creep, you feel for him. The only word that I, you know, I was thinking, Lord, how could I express this? I mean, is there any word in the English language that even can express? I, I thought of the word stunned. I thought of two words, abysmal disappointment. I would guess that there is probably on the face of the earth in all of history, not a more disappointed man than Haman was at this time. And I don't think that would be an understatement as far as life in general, not even talking about the judgment of God. But life in general, could you think of anything more shocking than this? Could you just imagine this this guy? I mean, I know he's satanic. I, I know he's a creep. I know he wants to, to kill all the Jewish people. And yet there's something in me that empathizes with this guy and says, wow, that any human would have to go through this. 
Can you just imagine his shock? He's at the palace to ask the king permission to hang Mordecai. He thinks he's about to be honored by the king, ride through the street, uh, and everybody acknowledging him. It's been a lifelong dream, and the king says, good idea, I want you to do that, and, and I want you to honor Mordecai, and you be the one who takes him through the street. I mean, talk about a turn of events. This man is totally humiliated, totally humiliated. Just a few minutes ago, he's right up here. Now he is in the pits. Mordecai is honored and he's humiliated. I mean, talk about a rough day at the office. This is the epitome of it. And remember, this wasn't just a petty feud. This is not just a personal thing. I mean, it is, but it isn't. Remember, Haman is responsible for the decree to kill all the Jews, of which Mordecai is the one the king wants to honor. Haman is in big trouble, and he knows it. Now, do you dare to think that God doesn't have a sense of humor? As you read this, do you dare think that God doesn't have a sense of humor? If this wasn't in the Bible, I'd have a hard time believing it. I really would. Uh, justice like this doesn't come every day. I mean, only in, in cowboy movies and westerns does justice like this come. But it doesn't seem in, in real life, it come, but it came there. It's true. It happened. Its irony is just incredible. And, and it is, in, in one sense, really humorous. It's tragically humorous, but it's humorous. And it perfectly illustrates the principle that Solomon wrote about in Proverbs when he said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Is there anyone more proud than Haman? Pride goes before destruction. Or Proverbs 11, verse 2, when the Bible says, when pride comes, then comes dishonor. No greater illustration than that in the word of God than this. Do you think God can't take care of your enemies? I, I, you have enemies. I have enemies. There are people who don't like us. Maybe they don't call us enemies, but they don't like us. Some people may succeed in harming us today, but there's coming a future day. Justice will prevail. As incredible as this scene is in Esther, so it will happen with God in the day of judgment and our enemies. Justice will prevail. Just an illustration of that. There'll be a payday someday. Verse 11. So Haman took the robe. I mean, he dared not to disobey the king. He took the robe and probably hated every moment of it. And the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, I don't know how loud it was. I don't think his heart was in it. You know, thus it shall be. No, I don't know how he said, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. You, you just feel for this guy. Remember, this is the man who refused to bow down to him. This is the man he hates. This is his mortal enemy. And how did it affect Haman? Verse 12, then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried home, mourning with his head Covered. The head covered was a sign of great grief. Returned home probably to seek comfort. I mean, why else do you go home to seek refuge, comfort? Probably the only people who really cared about him. Probably wanted encouragement from his wife and friends. But you know what happened? He didn't get it. Friends like this, nobody needs. Look at verse 13. And Haman recounted to, Zer to Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, said to him, now, talk about 
not encouraging. They say this, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you'll not overcome him. You'll surely fall before him. <laughs> what If Mordecai is a Jew, you are gone. That's, that's what they're saying. Get your will in order. This is your last day. Or something like that. You'll not overcome him. He'll overcome you. Now, why all of a sudden a change of heart? I mean, just the day before, they say, it's a good idea. Why don't you hang this man on the gallows? Why don't you get rid of him? Now they turned the tables, and now they said, wow, are you in trouble? If this guy is a Jew, you're in big trouble. And I asked myself as I was studying this, why? Why would they do that? Why would they be so fickle? And I think I, I know the answer. Persians were very superstitious. Very superstitious. They probably viewed Mordecai being honored as a, by the king as a sign or an, uh, an omen that the Jewish people would triumph over Haman. Probably part of it was superstition. I think also there's a point here that they probably were reminded by Mordecai's being honored that the God of the Jews had uh, cared for his people through the years. They had lived in Persia. Their parents had lived in Persia. Uh, their grandma, they were Persians and they knew that, that Persia and the kings of Persia were generally very favorable towards the Jewish people. In fact, it's only been in, in recent years, in our day and age, that Persia has turned against the Jew. But Jewish people have been in uh, uh, Persia, uh, had been in Persia for years. Uh, I remember when I was a student at Moody, a fellow who was studying for Jewish missions said to me one day, he said, you know, there are thousands and thousands, this was in the 1970s, early 70s, he said there are thousands and thousands of Jewish people living in Persia that have probably never heard of the gospel. And that was that was the case until recent years. With all the political upheaval, it's changed. And so there's probably a sense in which these people are superstitious and these people also now are reminded that, yeah, God has always looked, uh, their God has always been favorable to them and Persia's been favorable. So they say, uh-oh, are you in trouble? Now, isn't it interesting that Haman's wife and his friends, without realizing it, have really stated the main thrust of this book. And the main thrust is that no human can stand against God's ancient people. That's the thrust of this book. God will preserve them and center his prophetic program around them. He'll keep his promise. He will preserve them. And he will center his prophetic program around Israel. Now, let's look at verse 14. They didn't know what they were saying, but they really were stating the thrust of the book. While they were still talking with him and they're telling him that he is doomed, the king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Life is collapsing around this man and he's hurried off to a banquet. The banquet that he wanted to go to before, but now I don't think he really feels that way. Well, let's look at verses 1 through 4. Chapter 7 kind of goes quickly. Now the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther the queen. And the king said to Esther on the second day also, as they drank their wine at the banquet, what is your petition, Queen Esther? What, what, do you, what do you want? It shall be granted to you, and what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given to me as my petition and my people as my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent. would not be commensurate with the annoyance to the king. If it was just a matter of slavery, I wouldn't even bother you about this. But we're talking about death to my people and to me. 
Now, we don't really need explanation on that. It's rather obvious that she has asked for deliverance. Well, what happens? Verses 5 and 6. Then King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would presume to do this? (laughs) Queen's got the king just where she wants him. And Esther said, A foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. He's the guy right next to the king listening to all this. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. The only thing I can compare this to, it's like the, the secretary of state in our country attempting to kill the, the wife of our president. That's, that's, that's really the only thing that you could think that, that would be an analogy. I mean, that's how serious it is. And they're now having a little conference about this. Well, verse 7, the beginning of it says this, And the king arose in his anger from drinking wine and went into the palace garden. The king quickly just leaves the room. And probably just to gain his composure, he's probably so angry at this, he doesn't know what to do. His prime minister wants to kill his wife and all of her people. And he's shocked. He just needs a few minutes to get his composure together, think things out and sort things out in his mind. So he goes out of the room. I mean, you can picture this. I'm surprised that Hollywood hasn't made this into a movie, quite frankly. Make a great movie if they keep to the text. And uh, so he rushes out of the room. So there, there's Haman with Esther in this room. And look what happens. The end of verse 7 says this. But Haman stayed. I mean, he didn't go after the king begging, uh, or the king begging uh, to, for his life. He stays there begging the queen. He stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. I mean, he sees the king is furious. So he appeals to the queen. He is pleading at this point for his life. Look at verse 8. Now, when the king returned from the palace uh, garden into the place where they were drinking wine, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. I say, why would he do that? Why would she be on a couch? Well, Persians as well as Greeks, as well as Romans and New Testament Jews uh, would recline on couches when they ate. In fact, uh, the upper room discourse or the Passover meal uh, Leonardo da Vinci really made a mistake when he had them seated around the table. They were not around the table. They were reclining. That's why it's important that the Lord wash their feet. You don't want dirty feet in your face when you are eating, and they were reclining. That's just one. He, he did it to show them servanthood, but it's a byproduct of that. You don't want dirty feet in your face when you're eating good Jewish cooking. So, they, uh, they would recline. So she's, she's at a banquet reclining on her couch. And Haman is so desperate now that he falls upon the same couch that the queen is lying on. This is not a smart move. Dumb move. Do not fall on the couch of the queen. Okay? It just so happens, and I put that in quotes, it's by God's providence, it is not an accident, that at that very moment, while he is on her couch, that the king walks back into the room. The end of verse 8 says this. Uh, the king returns, and then the king said, Will he even assault the queen with me in the house? You know what he meant by that? There was so much immorality in the kingdom at that time that what he, he probably meant is that he assumes that Haman is sexually assaulting Esther, and I'm right here in the house. He can't even wait when I'm not here. Would he even do this while I'm here? That, that's He comes in and that's the picture he sees. He's not physically beating Esther. The thought here is, is, is he raping her? 
And everybody knew when he said that what the verdict was because the end of verse 8 says this, as the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Verse 9, then Harbona, one of the eunuchs who were before the king, said, behold, indeed, the gallows standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high or 75 feet high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. The king said, hang him on it. And probably this fellow Harbona uh, probably didn't like Haman like most people didn't like Haman. And uh, he speaks up and says, oh, may I put my two cents in here? You see those gallows out there? They're for Mordecai, the one that, that the king wants to honor. Yes, this Haman. Why don't you hang him on it? And so the king says, hang him. Hang him on the gallows. The same gallows that were prepared for his enemy. Do you think there are coincidences in the Christian life? Do you think that's just something that happens? It's just an accident? Of course not. Verse 10. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. You know, it is ridiculous for anyone to lift their hands against God and against God's people. And people think they could do that, kind of shake their fists at Almighty God and triumph over him. And yet, Galatians 6, 7 says, Whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. R.G. Lee was a famous Southern Baptist preacher. In fact, preached at Lakeside years ago. He's with the Lord now. And he preached probably his most famous message was payday someday. And basically what he said is, you may get away with things now, but there is a payday coming in which what, what you sow, you will reap. This was Haman's payday. Things may look bad in your life at this time. You may wonder where God is, and you may wonder about the difficulties you're going through. Is God really interested? He certainly is. And there is a payday coming for those who would lift themselves against you or against the plan of God. And just at the right time, just at the right time, God will step in and say, it's payday. History illustrates this. Hitler had his payday. Yet he thought he could solve what he called the Jewish problem, thought he could rule the world, thought he could overcome anything, thought he could shake his fist at Almighty God and have his satanic scheme come to fruition. It happened with Mussolini also. Just some months ago, they had a special on television about the life of Benito Mussolini. And if you saw that, you saw that the end of the film was a rather hideous scene of, of his death. Shot and then beaten, hung in the town square and then beaten by all the people, dragged through the city. Yeah, there's a payday someday. And Haman. This is Haman's payday. He's in hell today. And there was a payday. But you know, that's not the end of the story. And Israel still has a problem in the story. It's not over. The the adversary is out of the way. But remember, there's a law, an irreversible law. The law of the Medes and the Persians said when a law went into effect, it could not be reversed. And the law said that every Jew had to be eradicated. Well, how's God going to overcome that? Well, we'll see in weeks to come what that is. But I want you to know that God is involved in everything. Remember when we started off in verse 1 of chapter 6, the king couldn't sleep. Little insignificant thing like that. I want you to know God is involved in the insignificant things in life. Let's face it, 
There are very few significant big things, right? Getting married is a big thing. A job is a big thing. Having children is a big thing. But sleep, we do it every day. God is involved in it. And don't think that, that God has divorced himself from any area of your life, even when you're not aware of it. I, I know the king didn't think that, oh, God is keeping me awake, so I might read this. No, God had a plan. So when you can't fall asleep again, remember, God is involved even in that. And when you can fall asleep, remember, God is involved even in that. We trust that, that you'll recognize that he is a part of your life anytime, anywhere, any place. Let's bow for prayer. It's wonderful to know that the Lord Jesus Christ will accomplish his purpose. He's really in control. And we speak here at Lakeside about his sovereignty. We don't speak from a theoretical standpoint or from an intellectual standpoint. It's real. Is he that real in your life? Do you recognize him like that? Maybe you can't sense his presence, but you understand his character. If you've been studying the word of God, you understand that. God didn't say you have to feel that he's there, but he is and he's involved. Don't ever feel like something is too small for the Lord to be involved in. He re- that's why he invites us to cast all of our cares upon him because he really cares for you. And he's involved and he'll accomplish his plan with your boss who's maybe giving you a hard time, with your children, with your spouse, with your neighbors, with the people you minister to or minister with. He's in charge. He's in control. Let's rest in him. Father, we thank you that the book of Esther is just so heartwarming and so reassuring to us that you really are a vital part of every area of our life. Lord, it's incredible, the irony in this book. And we we realize that while it is in one sense very funny, it's very tragic what happened to Haman. And yet we, we know that you keep Israel, you preserve your people, and you will bless those who bless them, and you will curse those who curse them, and you'll never change. That's your word. That's your promise. Father, we pray that you'll reach out and draw some to yourself, Gentiles, Jews, people who might be thinking about biblical truths. Help us to be faithful in getting the message out. Tell them about Christ. Christ, who is not only the Messiah, the Savior, but he's Lord. And he's in charge. And he is the king that reigns and he wants to reign over their lives. He'll reign over this this world one way or another. It's nice for us to submit and to willingly let him reign, that we might be a witness for you, your glory and honor. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The book of Esther is like a case study on the providence of God. It contains dozens of evidences of God's wise coordination and supervision of the details of history and of the lives of the main characters. But how has this study been impacting your own life? Are you convinced of God's perfect wisdom, power, and timing in your own life? Are you developing a greater sense of peace within your heart as you cease to worry about events around you and the decisions of others? Steve, it seems so easy for us to misunderstand or misapply this idea of resting in God. On the one hand, we know it's wrong to worry and fret over things. And on the other hand, we have to guard ourselves from just sitting back and passively watching God work out his plan. What should resting in God look like in our lives? 
Well, resting in God is, has nothing to do with inactivity. We are to be diligent. We are to be active. We are to be always, as Paul said, abounding in the work of the Lord. But resting is a matter of the heart. I, I, I'm trusting in him. I'm, I'm at peace in the fact that he's sovereign. I'm, my conscience is clear. I'm doing what, what scripture says. That's what, that's what I mean by resting in him, not uh, being passive. The sovereignty of God is not an encouragement to be passive. There's no one who believed more in the sovereignty of God than the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul said, I worked harder than anybody else, night and day. So uh, he's my great example, and I think he is the great example for all of us because of what he has to say in the Scriptures. Thank you, Steve. Resting in God has more to do with having peace in our hearts than it does limiting our activities. We should be working diligently at serving God even as we are resting in Him to fulfill His plans. And that's just what we here at Verse by Verse are striving to do with these daily broadcasts. We are doing what we can to fill people's hearts with the powerful and life-changing truths of God's Word. We believe God will use His Word to impact our listeners as He sees fit. If you have been blessed by these biblical studies, we encourage you to consider joining with us in this great effort. Your financial gifts and prayers for this ministry are a help and encouragement. You can learn more about this partnership opportunity when you give us a call at 727-239-0306. So Heyman is out of the way now. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.